able to come here today and to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a blessing it is to know that our lives have a purpose. It's about King and Kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that even today, as we get now into the ministry of your living word, that we would allow it to come and do what you've ordained it to do in each one of our lives. We pray, Father, that even now, that we would recognize that Jesus being our Lord isn't something that should just be our profession, but should be our heart condition. So we pray, God, that we would yield to the authority of your word and the blessings that it brings into our life. Help us, Lord, to put off the old man, to put on the new, to allow the Spirit of God to really minister into our hearts the truth of your word so that we can be men and women of God living honoring in your sight, Lord. We bless you and we pray, Father, that you would pull from the chapter that we look at off of the pages of our Bibles and into the chambers of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Genesis 29 if you want to turn there. Now, you can go through the book of Genesis, and, you know, obviously there's doctrine and everything in there, but, but you know, you, we go through these things. We don't want to just read them historically, okay? We want to get under the skin of these different individuals to see what God was doing on the inside. That's what we want to see. So we currently have gone through, recently, Abraham and Isaac. Now we're moving into this scoundrel named Jacob. You know, but we're fortunate that God loves scoundrels because there's a bunch of ex-scoundrels sitting in this room here today and there's one behind the pulpit. <laughs> so we're very thankful that that's the heart of God. But as we look at this individual, Jacob, you know, we saw last week that he had this tremendous experience, vision, promise given to God, I believe it might have been at this moment, based upon what he said at the end of chapter 28, that he was really converted. But once you're converted, that's when the work begins. And I don't know about you, but you know, I thought I climbed major mountains when God was delivering all this external stuff out of my life that I'd gotten involved with before Christ. I found that those are the low hills, man. Once he starts dealing with the internal attitudes and the condition of a fallen heart, those are the mountains. So God's beginning to deal with Jacob in a way that Jacob needed to be dealt with so that he could be everything that God has ordained his life to be. And I love what we see here in verse 28 is that he had an experience with God. I believe it is worth reiterating what Paul said his desire was to know Christ or literally to experience Christ. Okay, and that transcends just doctrine, just theology. That goes right into intimate relationship with you and Jesus alone, one-on-one, receiving from Him what your life needs because He knows what you need. He knows what you need to hear. He knows the promises that you need for your life and what you've been called to. I was just listening to a a pastor this week, you know, listening to some Bible prophecy, and and it was awesome because this guy said, I was going through such a dark time in the ministry because everything was going wrong. And that got my ears perked up because I've had those seasons. And uh, so he goes, I was actually in a mindset of, okay, what's going to go wrong next? And, And it really took me back a little bit because I remember I went through a time in my life where it seemed like everything was going wrong, I really had my first bout with some minor anxiety. 
And I really am thankful that I went through all that because it's what God has to minister to you by experience in those times that helps you teach you and gives you the ability to help other people. Now, now this guy said, you know, he's on a plane on his way to Hawaii for the, his anniversary with his wife, and she was trying to be kind to him and everything, and, and all he couldn't even enjoy. He's going to Hawaii, he couldn't even enjoy. He said, just what's going to go wrong next? I remember waking up in the morning thinking that. What? What's going to go bad today? You know, you get, you get caught in those traps of the battle. And, 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 and God spoke to him. He had an experience right there on the plane. God spoke to him. He goes, the problem, Jimmy, is, is that fear is causing you to expect the devil to move and you're losing sight of faith, which expects me to move. And it really changed things for him, you know? And, and I know for me, even my experience of what I went through is that it was just the truth of the scriptures that got me through my bout of anxiety, discouragement, and my mindset, oh, what's going to go, you know, Eeyore, what's going to go wrong today? You know, we all got that Eeyore in us. But what I'm trying to tell you, get alone, get an open ear, get an open heart, get an open Bible, and experience what you need from Jesus. Because he has what you need. So we see here, he leaves, right? He leaves Bethel, the house of God, leaves with this experience with Christ, this vision and dream he got of angels ascending and descending, but he also got promises. So now he's got something to hold on to that he can take into his whole future, all right? And, and the promise was wonderful because he told them about his seed, so the future of his people. They were going to inherit all the land. But this is what he said to him personally. I am with you. The presence of God, I think sometimes we lose sight. When we lose sight of that, we lose a lot of things in our life. Security, peace, joy, all those things, they start to dissipate in our life. When we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is with us, promises to never leave us or forsake us, I'm going to keep thee in all the places where you go. So wherever you go, I'm going to keep thee. I'll protect you. And I'll bring thee again into the land, for I will not leave thee until I've done that which I've spoken to thee of. So he's been given a promise of the presence of God and the purpose of God and that all these things in his life will be fulfilled by God. So we see him going into this. Now, now the thing about this, and I've shared with you before, I know when I've had an experience with God because I've never forgot what he told me and I never forgot where I was when he told me that. At the end of his life, fast forward, chapter 48, Jacob's death, all right? He actually references this experience at Bethel. He never forgot it. And what I like about that is the fact that he took those promises he was given in the past and he carried them through his present all the way into his future. And they're one of the things that helped get him where he needed to be. We read about him as one of the the greats of Israel, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob made the list. And how God used him to create this wonderful nation that gave us our Messiah. That's why we love them. That's why we're pro-Israel. We are pro-Israel Because they gave us our Messiah. Our Messiah is a Jewish Messiah. His name's Jesus. Okay, so then we pick up in verse, or chapter 29. And we're watching God slowly sanctify the transformation of this deceptive, heel-catching individual. And Jacob went on his journey. Now, now the Hebrew of this, it literally means lifted up his feet, or he's got a pep in his step now. It speaks of joy in the journey. That's what it's speaking of here. 
So as he goes, he gets something renewed. He's got excitement, purpose, expectation. There's this, like, this new vigor in him. And, and, and I look at that, and it's a picture of life and joy in his walk. Remember, and it's very possible, like I said, just a few verses ahead, when, when he said, that, then shall the Lord be my God, that David writes about a joy of salvation. And actually, when he wrote that in Psalm 51, he, he said, Lord, return me to the joy of my salvation. If we're saved... There should be joy in our heart. But he had an experience in the house of God. Maybe his conversion point took all these promises on his journey, and it was so impacting in his life. His joy, this pep in his step, this joy that Jacob now has that he didn't have before. Remember, it was fear before. My goodness, man, my brother's going to assassinate me when my dad dies, and he's, he's getting close to that. You know, now all of a sudden, all those things have been replaced with joy because why? He, he experienced the presence of God, and he's got the promises of God. He's walking in living faith with a living God. That's what we've been called to. We walk out living faith, living the Word of God with the living God. So verse 2. And he looked, and behold, a, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep. They were lying by it, for out of the well they watered the flocks. And look at this. I want to emphasize this just for the future in here in a minute. A great stone was upon the well's mouth. Okay, big stone, great stone. And, and thither were all the flocks gathered. So he's got all these flocks gathered around there. And, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and they watered the sheep and put the stone again on the well's mouth in this place so it wouldn't get contaminated, so people couldn't steal it, whatever. But, but they would continually take the, the stone on and off. In verse 4, and Jacob said unto them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, You know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, yeah, we know him. <laughs> <Can't imagine. laughs> All right, now Laban, man, this is a character that we're going to experience in this chapter and the next coming chapters. Uh, uh, but, but this guy is uh, Jacob on steroids. I mean, that, that's what we're looking at here as far as character goes. And we're going we're gonna to watch uh, some great lesson God's going to teach through this Laban. So I can't imagine how they said it, but they're like, yeah, we know him. And, and he said unto him, is he well? And they said, he's well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with a sheep. All right, so we see Rachel now, and this is going to eventually be the love of Jacob's life, and, and she comes with her father's sheep. Now, now here's, here's something to you single people out there. If Jesus Christ and his kingdom are your priority, here's a principle. Number one, we don't see it yet. We're going to see beauty. You're marrying a sinner, okay? There's going to be some things that come forth from Rachel's life that Jacob's going to have to deal with. You don't, you don't see that at first, right? I mean, it's the smoke screen of love, you know? But, but, but you're going to marry a sinner, all right? That's going to happen. And the wonderful thing about marrying a sinner is it gives you the opportunity to be like Jesus. You get to be forgiving. You get to be merciful. You get to be graceful. You get to be very, very patient. Okay, But here's the other thing that I want to emphasize, is that when Jacob saw her, and this is who he's going to end up marrying, look what she's doing. She's coming with her father's sheep. She's busy about her father's business. When you're looking as a single Christian, if you care about the kingdom, if you care about the king, and, and, and you want your life to actually matter down here, that you're not just here to exist, die, and hope you make it to heaven, but you want to make an impact in other people's lives by the glory of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? You care about the kingdom. 
Here's a big principle. If, you're look, if you look for someone who's serving the Father without you, you will find someone who will serve the Father with you. Okay? So, one of the things you should be looking for is someone who's serving the Father without you because that's someone who will eventually come alongside and serve God with you. So, we see here that verse 7 says, and he said, Lo, it's high day. So, so he sees Rachel come and he's talking to these shepherds. Hey, Lo, it's high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water you the sheep and go feed them. You know, I'm going to give you the English translation of that word. He sees, Jacob sees Rachel coming and he's telling all these shepherds, you know, English word here, hey guys, scram. You know what I mean? I want some alone time here. You know, beat it. Get your sheep, get them watered, go feed them somewhere a long way away from here. And they said, we cannot until the flocks be gathered together and until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Okay, they. So it takes multiple people to roll the stone from the well's mouth. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth. We've got a little bit of Hercules work in here. You know, he got pumped up and a little inspiration. You got a hot looking girl coming your way that's a great prospect for possibly getting married to, you know, the way his father had sent him. But, but we see here that all of a sudden, you know, he rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. And, and, and I look at that, and, and I think there's something that we can see here is, is that, you know, he's kind of operating in a supernatural strength beyond himself. You know, that's what I see here. It's a great stone. They're like, we can't roll it away, you know, all these shepherds. But for some reason, Jacob could. And, and I believe one of the reasons is, is because, first of all, this guy's walking with joy. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Okay? When you walk with the joy of the Lord, man, that gives you strength. You know, that's what it said in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. But a biblical definition of joy, it's a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is. Okay? You see, we try to find joy in our circumstances. Circumstances change. Jesus never changed. He can't change. So we find joy in our unchangeable Jesus, depending on who Jesus is, rather than on who we are in, in the circumstances that are all around us. It comes from the Holy Spirit abiding in God's presence and from hope in this world. Now, I want you to think about it. If you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment. I want to point out something here. We're talking about a strength that is beyond ourselves. To me, it's just a picture of that, an illustration of that, an extraction of that, I believe, of a biblical truth. We're going to look at a couple verses here in 2 Corinthians. One of the greatest motivators of supernatural strength is love. And I see that in a man who probably impacted the kingdom of God greater than any other man, the Apostle Paul. We reference him quite frequently because he has so many writings in the Bible and the book of Acts tracks him from his conversion. And then we see him at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when it's time for him to go home and meet Christ. But I look at this guy and I look at supernatural strength. And I'm not talking about anything of what he can do on a bench or a squat rack or with a curling bar. I'm talking about a greater strength. A strength of someone on the inside. Where does it come from? How do I get it? Where does it come from? Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. Stripes above measure. Speaking about the whippings he got. In prisons more frequent, and thus often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one, so thirty-nine. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. That was at Lystra, Acts, I think, 14, where they believe it was possible that he had that near-death experience. All the disciples gathered around him, and he rose up again and went right back into the city that stoned him. Looking forward to meeting Paul. Three times I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I've been in the deep, in journeyings, often perils of water, perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, perils of the heathen, perils of the city, and perils of the wilderness, the sea, and amongst false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So that's all the, the physical trauma he went through, but verse 28, the spiritual emotional, beside all those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. A shepherd's heart, caring about how the Christians are doing inside the churches that he established and that were established from them. He cared about people's spiritual state. He cared about people getting to heaven. So I look at this guy, and I'm telling you, I look at a Bible, you can put Samson aside, I don't see anybody stronger than Paul the Apostle. I mean, obviously, other than Jesus. Where do you get that from? Go back a few chapters into chapter 5. I reference this scripture a lot, but today I want to turn to it with you. So, I mean, at some time, at some point, you get put through so much, you think that, you know, like a lot of people, you just, you know, I'm done. I'm going to pull the pin, man. I'm done. I can't take anymore. Maybe you're on that precipice today. I got a whole wall of people that I'm baptized that have taken that road, that are no longer here. Verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us or compels us. Philip's translation, the spring of of our action is the love of Christ. That's what kept them going forward. It wasn't intellect. It was experiential love between a human being and God Almighty. That's what kept them going forward. See, the only reason that you would defect from the faith today is because you've left your love relationship with Jesus. That's the only reason you would leave. But Paul never got over the fact, and I've referenced that in Galatians chapter 2 as he, in, you know, as he took that very intimate, but he, he says this, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul says, is there any other answer when we look at this through the lens of the eyes of God? That if Christ died for me, should I not live for him? He didn't sign up for conditional Christianity. I think sometimes we do like, okay, if, 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 I, if Christ becomes my Lord and Savior, then everything's going to get better. On the inside, it will. On the outside, no guarantees. I think Paul's life would have been a lot easier temporarily if he never got saved, but he would have paid for it for all of eternity in hell if he didn't get saved. So we see that there was a fuel here that strengthened him, right? We see Jacob, big stone, nobody else gets supernatural strength, right? Why? Because he's seeing his girl, man, has a love at first sight. He's walking in love, walking in joy, popping the step, right? Allow salvation to be joy in your life. Personalize the bloody cross done for you. 
That will give you so much joy to know the value that you hold to Jesus and what he was willing to do for you. And don't ever get over it. Don't ever get over it. Keep it real. Keep it fresh. Keep it personal. Because joy and love are two great catalysts for you and I to exercise supernatural strength. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. To be able to endure. Think about it. List in your mind all life has cruelly thrown at you. You're thinking about heartache, heartbreak, affliction, adversity, wrongs done to you, wrongs said about you. Now I say this not so that you can have this victim mentality, but so that you will have a victor theology. You're a victor. You're a conqueror. You're still going forward because Jesus is real. Because you're taken in His love. That's why when life rips your guts out, you keep persevering. Because that's the love of God operating in your life. And it's reciprocating back to Him because you live in appreciation of that love. You live in a reciprocal of that love. That's why there's no quit. We're going forward with Christ because we didn't get saved out of some emotional experience. So when persecution and trials come our way, like the parable of the sowers, that we get stumbled and offended and we defect from the faith because, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. This is hard. No, this is war. We're at war. But it's all about king and kingdom. We are not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, and we've got the greatest king anybody could ever imagine in Jesus Christ. So the question, the love of Christ constrains me, compels me, keeps me pressing on. He's the spring in my step, the spring in my action, living for his glory, because I've concluded he died for me, and I shouldn't live for myself, but I should live for him who died and rose again. Is that our conclusion? We have to ask, is that my conclusion? If that is our conclusion, it will be shown in the way we choose to live life this week, this year, which I'm hoping and thinking is going to be our last year. Joy is a condition of the mind where biblical overrides the circumstantial. Condition of the mind. It's the way I choose to think. I let the Bible override circumstances. Paul knew that as he went forward that, that, that bonds and afflictions lied ahead for him, but this is what he said, none of these things move me. Okay? He refused to let fear be a shepherd in his life. Too many people in this church let fear be their shepherd. And if you're guided by fear, man, you've got to repent of it and let Jesus take that helm again. Because fear brings torment. Jesus brings peace because he's the Prince of Peace. None of these things move me. And I don't count my life dearer than myself, so I'm not self-focused. I'm not self-absorbed. It's not about my self-esteem or anything like that. So I might finish my course, which he did, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Right? He kept the faith, finished the course, fought the good fight, so that I might finish my course. And I just finished my, I just want to finish. No, I'm going to finish my course with joy. So I leave this world with joy and I go into the arms of Jesus with joy. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff behind me. Which, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. So doing ministry with joy. i got news for you. If you're in Christ, you're in ministry. Okay, You have a ministry. Who you live next to, the people... That you got the same blood running in your veins. Uh, anywhere that you go into contact with anyone. While you're here, you have ministry. These were two of the things that produced within the heart of a man. Just like you and I, you can't put the cape on him. 
All right? He, he, he was just like you and me. You read Romans 7, you'll find out he's just like us. But you know what he did? He took the word of God to maximum. He took the spirit of God to maximum, and that's what made him who he was. Paul the Apostle is an individual that takes away our excuses for not persevering, not enduring. You know, the Bible says if you faint in a day of adversity, your strength's small. I know my strength's small. That's why I lean on the strength of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that gets me through. His strength isn't small. Let's go back to Genesis. So look at this, verse 11. And Jacob kissed Rachel, okay? Now, ladies, you take that verse right there, single ladies. The guy comes up to you, thinks he wants to marry, and just slaps a kiss on you. Yeah, you backhand him in Jesus' name. Give him a nice haymaker in Jesus' name. Do whatever you got to do in Jesus' name. I don't know. This could have been some cultural kiss on the hand. Who knows? But he lifted up his voice and he started to cry. <laughs> what an emotional catastrophe this guy is. Like, Oof, yeah, my knight in shining armor. What are you going to do next? Pass out? And uh, so verse 12, and, and Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's brother. So, you know, don't you think he might have got that backwards? Maybe you should have introduced yourself first before you go slapping a kiss on somebody and crying all over. Um, but this is what we got, man. This is Hallmark at its best. Verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. <laughs> A lot of kissing going on. And brought him to the house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And boy, he's going to find out. <laughs> they sure are. Uh, and he abode with him the space of a month. Okay, so he's there. About a month. Now, this Laban we're going to meet here, we're going to find out he's very shrewd and he's a self-advantage-seeking individual. Self-advantage-seeking individual. And look what he does here. And you can see it right out of the gates. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, should thou therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So right off the bat, it seems like he's doing something good. You know, I want to reward you with wages because you're my servant. You know what he did right there? He put him in a lower position and got him under his thumb. You're my servant. Okay, you can see really the manipulation here. He's very crafty. He's establishing his superiority in this relationship. Um, and Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Okay, so got Leah and Rachel here. Leah was tender-eyed, said that she might have had some issues with her eyes possibly, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And that was the one that, obviously, we already saw Jacob had his eyes on. But look at verse 18. Uh, verse 18 says, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee. Seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. You know what we see here? Service is designed to be fueled by love. Look, at service is designed to be fueled by love. I, I'm going to just put it flat out out there because I've seen it around here. Some of you people don't serve in love. You do it out of duty. And, and the reason you can know you're not doing it in love is because you complain about it. But we've been designed to serve out of love. Love needs to be the fuel why we serve. Turn to Mark chapter 10 with me for a moment. Because, you know, this, it's always heart check time. When you're doing something, whether you're involved in a church activity or you're on some kind of a ministry or you're cleaning or, or you've got Sunday school going on or you help out at the church or whatever it might be, you always got to ask yourself this, who are you doing it for? If you're doing it for the people, that'll become duty. If you do it for the Lord, that'll be devotion. So Mark, now, now remember, Mark was really kind of um, 
who Peter was committing a faithful man, right? That he might be able to teach others also, like we're told in 2 Timothy. So, so really, Peter's got Mark, and, and through really Peter's experience, much of Mark's uh, gospel was written to us, which I'm thankful for because I want Peter's insight. But, but I love, I think Matthew also records this, but I love what it says here. Um, Mark 10, hold on, let me get there. Mark 10, verse 42, but Jesus called to him, called to them, him, and said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship, authority over them. And they're great ones, exercise authority upon them, okay? They're the boss, man, they're the ones in authority. They bring it down on everyone. But so shall it not be among you. The principles in the law of the kingdom are in such contrast to the principles in the law of this life. And and this is what Jesus is trying to teach here. It's not like that among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, shall be your servant. You're the one that serves. You're the one that sees the need, meets the need. You're the ones that makes yourself available to fill in that empty slot or to be there for someone when they need you. And whosoever of you will be the greatest, will be the servant of all. That means believers. That means non-believers. That can even mean our enemies. But if you're willing to do that, in the eyes of God, that's greatness. For even the Son of Man came not to minister unto... Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister. Came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. The life of sacrifice for the kingdom, for the people. That's greatness in the eyes of God. Now, we get to see this really through, like I wanted to reference, through the lens of Peter's eyes. And and remember, he had Jesus wash his feet. Remember? And, And I think it's John, maybe 13. He took on the lowest form and washed his feet. But that was nothing compared to when he would watch his Lord go to a cross and be impaled and wash away his sins, not feet with water, but sins with blood. Greatest act of service. Love must fuel our service or we shouldn't be serving. It can do a disjustice, an injustice to the name of Christ if we're serving without love. Galatians chapter 5 says that it's in love that we serve one another. We minister to one another in love. You've got to have that. See, love comes first. Fueled, fueled by the love of God that you've got to go and get it. And that word right there is agape. It's unconditional. That means the love of God in operation in your life, Romans 5, 5, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the people around you will be a benefactor. And we're also, okay, those are our actions, okay? Our words, which are so powerful, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in agape. This is the service that we owe one another because that's what our Lord says needs to happen. It's not radical, it's biblical. And it actually someday, because of the grace of God, we will be rewarded for it. Back in Genesis, back to Genesis, Jacob loved Rachel said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now listen to his answer. It's kind of, kind of a little opened, I think. And Laban said, ah, it's better I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Just stay with me. No real commitment there. Just a statement. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him, unto him but a few days for the love he had for her. Seemed like just a few days. 
We see here Jacob was willing to be patient for the bride he loves. I don't know about you. I want Jesus to come back for his bride like 10 minutes ago. I'm ready to go, but there's a lot of people who aren't. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still here. The church has a mission to fulfill. Now, nobody wants to see Jesus Christ come back for his bride, the church. Nobody wants to see Jesus Christ come back more than Jesus Christ does. (laughs) He wants to be with his bride. He wants his bride to be with him. But the beauty about Christ, and he makes all things perfect in his time, is that he's very patient. See, Jacob's patience here. I give him credit. I mean, seven years. I waited three months. He waited seven years. Very patient. But here's the thing about God. He's not willing that any would perish, but he's long-suffering, desiring all to come to repentance. You know, you're here today, and you just came to church. God's desire for you is that you would come to Christ. I mean, we... We look at the Bible and, and we see it as, wow, just a big book. I know for me, I didn't understand it when I first read it, but that's because I tried to read it without the understanding and the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in my life. But this thing right here is a love letter, how God created it perfect, but man blew it. And man brought in a disease that will separate us from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. But he created one way, one singular way. He said he's the way. Not one of the ways, the way of the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by Him. So we look at the Bible, we recognize that the gift of God, the love of God was demonstrated when He poured the wrath that you and I deserve out on His Son at Calvary, on that cross, to offer to you the gift of Christ, forgiveness of your sins, having Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior, and the hope of heaven. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Not the easiest thing, but the best thing that's ever happened to me. And look, if you're here today, I want you to think about it. Do you know where you stand with God? Because we have no guarantees of tomorrow, and the Bible says our life is just a vapor that appears for a, a little time, and then it vanishes away, and heaven and hell are real places, and Jesus taught us that the majority of people would populate hell. Leonard Ravenhill said, of all the roads that lead into hell, there's not one that leads out, and there's one that gets into heaven. That's Jesus. So are you willing to get out of the driver's seat of life and to say, you know, I've been doing it my way, and I recognize that my soul's in jeopardy. In Jesus, I'm going to put my trust in you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I choose of my own will to repent of my sins and ask you in my heart to be my Lord and Savior and experience your forgiveness. Because God's only waiting for a short time period. I've gone through my life saying, ah, Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And I really believed it, but I've never believed it more than I do this year. Never believed it more than I do right now. The final grains of sand are running out of the eternal hourglass of God Almighty. And if you're not ready, you're going to be thrown into the great tribulation. And God is offering you salvation, peace, and the hope of heaven today in Christ. If that's you, today's the day to surrender to Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have brought us here today to hear your word. I thank you, Lord, that that the urgency of the days that we live in are at hand. And God, I thank you that you're good. You're so good. You're so gracious. You're so loving. It's your goodness that leads us to leads men and women to repentance. And I pray even now, Lord, if there's anybody here that has never become your disciple, that even now they'd respond to that tug of the heart 
that you are putting on them and that they would give their life to you at this moment, that they would turn from their sins at this moment. They, they would ask you to come in to their lives, to their heart, and to be their Lord and Savior at this moment and put their trust in you. Thank you, Lord, that you shed blood so that we could be forgiven forever. Thank you, Jesus, that that cross was the one way into your kingdom. And we bless your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've come here today and you don't know why you're here today, maybe you're just visiting, God's given you an opportunity for heaven. God's given you an opportunity for forgiveness. Greatest decision anyone ever makes in their life is what they choose to do with Jesus Christ because that determines where you spend your whole eternal existence. Billion years from now, it's just getting started. So if you don't know Christ, and you want to know Christ, you want to be forgiven, you want the hope of heaven, look, we got some Bibles up here. We'd love to give you a Bible, pray with you, and just give you the opportunity to invite Jesus in your heart. You need prayer about anything, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless. Have a great day.